0: What a great day. We are concluding our series in First John. In fact, they have Bibles in the back. If you don't have a Bible in front of you and you'd like one, would you just raise your hand? They will bring one to you so that we can read it together. Just keep your hand up till they get one to you. Bill is on his way. And we're going to be concluding in 1 John. But next week, we're going back into the Psalms. We've done a little series in the Psalms over the past few summers. If you look in the book of Psalms, it actually is divided into five books. I don't know why. The Psalms aren't different between the books, but they're just divided. So we did one book a summer till we got to book five. And then we said, oh, this is going to run out pretty soon. So we did a a chunk at the beginning. And then last summer, we did the granddaddy of them all, Psalm 119 all by itself, and then this summer we're going to be looking at Psalms 120 to 134. They're called the Psalms of ascent, ascent, like ascending a mountain, like a traveling song, songs that you would sing while you're traveling. And uh, so if you wanted to read ahead, we're going to be in Psalms 120 to 135 or 134 uh, over the next couple of months, and I would invite you to turn there. Well, about five years ago, Cindy and I were on a trip back into Northern California, and we stopped by to see some old friends. and. You know, way back, they went to the same church with me. And then years ago, they even moved with me to a new location. Um, and uh, we helped to lead the ministry there. Had a lot of fruitful, happy years together. Leading children and youth and adults and vacation Bible schools and Bible studies and mission trips and youth ministry and so on. And, you know, since then, as time would have it, we we moved to different locations and got married and grew, had kids and grew distant with a lack of regular communication and fellowship, and so we were trying to catch up. They had moved to, to the mountains, gotten married, a couple of them, and, and he had kind of become a hermit through the years, and uh, she had fed the family by teaching school. And so along the way, he had started to read the Bible a lot, but with his own peculiar slant to it. And, and he'd begun to have dreams, lots of dreams, and they seemed so real that, and so full of truth, he came to a point of believing that Jesus was speaking to him in every dream. In fact, his dreams sometimes, though, contradicted Scripture, and the dreams were so vivid, he decided this is a new word from God, and uh, so God is speaking through my dreams, and he came to the point of deciding or determining that if his dreams and Scripture didn't match with each other, well, then the dream superseded Scripture. The dream was more important than what the God's word has to say. And his dreams told him that we were in the last days and that uh, all people who go to church are hypocrites and that to be right with Jesus meant you had to repent, which meant you needed to withdraw from spending any time with any hypocrites in churches and just read your Bible and listen to your next dream. So at one point, as I'm hearing this, he said, Ty, have you repented? And I said, well, yes, I did as a child. I asked God to forgive me from my sin and to come into my heart, just like the Bible tells us to do. And he said, no, 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 to repent, you need to withdraw from having anything to do with any church people, because churches are full of hypocrites. I said, but I love those hypocrites, (laughs) especially the ones in the church where I'm the pastor, and they need to, if they're going to change, they need to hear God's word. And to hear God's word, they need somebody to preach it to them. And God has called me to do that. And he said, well, has God spoken to you recently? And I said, well, yes. Last week in my own devotions, I was reading a passage of Scripture from, and he interrupted me to say, oh, no, no, not Scripture again. What has God said to you in a dream? Well, at that point, our conversation reached an impasse. Because what's the basis for your faith? Your dreams or the word of God? I mean, is it Jesus of a new dream or is it Jesus of Nazareth, crucified on a cross outside of Jerusalem, author of the Holy Bible? And if you can only choose one... I looked at these people I'd known most of my life and it seemed like they were strangers. I mean, they're speaking some new philosophy. And and remember, we had led youth camps together. We had led vacation Bible schools. We had worked with children. We had led Bible studies in Sunday schools. I mean, an attack on your faith from anywhere is is hard to take, but an attack on your faith from somebody you thought was on the inside of faith with you, that can really rock your boat. Now, I know, uh, you know, especially if they've concocted a new view of Jesus, that he's somehow less than God. Or less than the Scripture calls him to be, which is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and and God in human flesh. Especially if they mix in a bit of truth, but they've forsaken God's plan for salvation found in the Scriptures. I know some of you have had a similar heart-wrenching kind of experience with a family member or a friend, or with a church or with a denomination that that you you once loved and you identified with, and somewhere along the way, somebody began to espouse a new view. I'm not calling it truth, though it's taught as such, but it can cause a great deal of soul-searching and self-doubt and questioning and insecurity and anxiety. And John is writing to a church that's had that kind of experience. They've had a conflict over what to believe about Jesus and who is He really? And it's caused a split. And John is trying to restore their confidence in Christ, the ones who are left, because they're bruised. They're feeling banged up and broken in the process. The goal of faith is to get right with God for now and forever. To hear God someday say to you, well done, when he evaluates your whole life. So John has four gold nuggets left that he imparts right here at the end of his book to the people of God. Four statements of fact that he wants them to keep in mind regardless of how much they struggle, regardless of what they've been through. He wants them to stay confident in Jesus Christ. So look with me at 1 John chapter 5. We're starting at verse 13. John 5.13 really is the summary of the entire book. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. I mean, he's saying heaven is real. And Jesus is really God, and he died for you. And he can forgive your sin if you ask him to and offer you eternal life in heaven as a gift when you call on his name. Now, to believe in the name is to believe in the person. And this is a phrase John used a lot. He used it in John chapter 1, in verse 12, to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's in John 3, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. These people John is writing to have had, had their confidence shaken by the people who split off. And the things that were said, the people who were denying how important Jesus is or trying to teach a new way to read God's word, they also claim to have special revelations from God. And John is writing them to say, no, no. Little children or beloved, it's you who are on the right track. You have believed and continued to believe what you were taught about Jesus from eyewitnesses who saw him, who heard him, who believed him. Be confident in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Continue to be fully devoted followers of Christ. He's got heaven and he's got all eternity waiting to share with you. Use this as a moment to grow stronger in your faith, not to abandon it. John had written something very similar in the book called The Gospel of John, which is earlier in the Bible. And when he was concluding his gospel, at the end of it in chapter 20, John says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now he's writing, First John, in the book of John, the gospel of John, he wrote it to convince people to believe, and in that belief, they would have life. Now he's writing to people who are believers. He's writing to assure them, you've already believed. You've gotten beaten up. You've gotten discouraged. You've gotten tired. You've gotten maybe a bit distracted. Put your eyes on the prize. Heaven forever with Jesus. One of our deacons is Lance McCabe, and his mother died this last week. She's in her 90s. I'd had a chance to get to meet her and uh, spend a little time with her, and she loved the Lord. And in her last day, Lance was by her side reading from the book of John to her, and then she stepped into the presence of Jesus in her sleep. He said, My mother left to be with the Lord last night. She passed peacefully in her sleep. We will all miss her every day, but know she's in a much better place with the Lord. I feel I was blessed yesterday when I picked up her Bible beside the bed and I held her hand while I read to her for about an hour from John. It was her favorite book and the most highlighted with notes. I thought she was asleep most of the time, but every time I mentioned eternal life with God, I felt a slight squeeze. From her hand, as though to reassure me, I know she's truly in good hands. Keep your eye on the prize, because someday you'll step from this life into eternity, and heaven forever with Jesus is waiting for those who have invited him into their life and asked for his forgiveness. The next verse, verse 14, begins with the word and. And so this word and links the two ideas together of the verse 13 and then what we find in 14, which says this. Fully devoted followers are given the gift of life forever in heaven. And, verse 14, we don't have to wait for heaven to be close to Jesus and to talk to him regularly. Here's what verse 14 says. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, heaven is real. And we can be confident that Jesus hears our prayers. Jesus has encouraged us to pray. Pray a lot. Pray about a lot of things. We can be confident He cares. We can be confident He has a plan for us. We can be confident that nothing that happens in our life is a surprise to Him. There's no, oops, I looked the other way and look what happened to one of my kids. No, Jesus has a plan for this world and He has a plan for our church and He has a plan for you in particular. And He's the best. And John is encouraging them to pray according to Jesus' will, according to his plan. It's not like Jesus is some spiritual Santa Claus that the only time we show up and sit on his lap is to say, I need one of these and two of those. He's saying Jesus hears our prayers, and he cares and he loves. So here's a thought. Pray like Jesus did. Pray a lot. Pray at church Go home and pray. Find a, uh, a private place, like even a prayer closet or whatever, or on your knees by your bed or whatever. Find moments with Jesus as often as you can to pray, God, may your will be done in my life. Give me the courage. Give me the strength. Give me the tenacity to keep my eyes on you, Jesus. Now, I've noticed in our bulletin and on the blue cards, and when we get together to pray as a staff, that a lot of our prayers are for our bodies and for our ailments that are physical for either ourselves or our family or our friends. And I think those are good prayers. And we could and we do a lot of them. But I think we can... Prayers for physical healings are not the only kinds of prayers that God hears or answers. So how about praying some of these prayers? God, forgive my sin. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, fill me with your spirit. Make me more aware of your presence in my life. God, grant me greater wisdom. Give me your insight. Help me to think your thoughts. God, use me to touch the lives of others with the grace and the truth of Jesus. Bring to my mind the name of somebody I know who needs me to encourage them to walk with Jesus. God, go before me today. Go with me today. If you aren't going, then I don't want to go. That's a prayer of Moses when God got so irritated with the people. He said to Moses, guess what? I've got you all equipped. I'm sending food with you. Be on your way. I'm staying here. And Moses says, "Uh, (laughs) if you're not going with us, I don't want to go us to hear so God go with us or how about God somebody I know and love is struggling with a certain sin in their life strengthen their resolve to live as a follower of Jesus you see yes heaven is real but we're in a struggle you know why it's also true because sin is real look at verse 16 if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. In this context, it says, so if anyone sees his brother, the brother is a Christian brother or a Christian sister. It's somebody who is a, a person who shares the same faith that Jesus is God and he's the Savior who's come into the world, and we have invited him into our heart one at a time, and then we gather together for mutual support. Now, this brother or this sister who's struggling with sin, maybe they're trying to hide it, but you become aware of it. Now you've got a problem. Because when we come to Jesus, we ask Jesus, please forgive my sin. And, and we ask, give him our heart. And the baptism picture is we die to ourselves so that Jesus can come alive inside of us. We ask him to forgive our sin and we basically are promising to forsake our sin. And then as a Christian, suddenly we find ourselves doing a sin or sinning. Even Paul said, how are we who are dead to sin to continue to live in it? Well, let me give you a physical example. We live in a world that has gravity. We don't just float around in space. Gravity pulls us down to earth. It keeps our feet on the ground. It has its pull on us for your entire life. You never get to a certain age where you say, ah, I'm finally free of gravity. Now you can jump, but you'll come back down. In fact, some people have great hops. They can soar through the air, but they come back down. I have at least a two inch vertical leap, (laughs) and I come back down. You could escape gravity for a time or so, it seems, by flying through the air on an airplane. But gravity is only temporarily defeated because sooner or later, the, even the airplane will come down. Sin can be defeated one moment at a time because Jesus has whipped it forever. He had to. He loves you so much. And sin is that offensive to God. Sin, you see, is falling short of God's best. It's failing to bring glory to God in your thoughts or your words or your actions. And the consequences are that all sin leads to death. You wonder how much sin do I have to do before I'm no longer considered perfect to get into heaven on my own merits? Just one. Probably happened before your memory started. So the consequences are all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory and that the wages of sin is death. Sin left unchecked will kill you. Just like cancer left unchecked will certainly lead to death, so will sin. So sin leading to death is the sin of the person who has not repented, who has not become a believer, who hasn't asked Jesus to do anything about their sin. They just have them and their sin. The one sin is all it takes to be terminal with death. Sin not leading to death is sin done by somebody who's already been to Jesus, already asked for forgiveness, already been forgiven, already had Jesus come alive inside. And Jesus has paid the price for that sin. And so the believer's sin has already been covered by the precious blood of Jesus. And then they sin. It's a conundrum. When he talks here about sin that leads to death, he's not talking about a physical death. He's talking about a spiritual death. I think John has in mind people like the ones who had split from their church, people who had chosen to deny that Jesus of Nazareth was actually God in the flesh, people who were denying that Jesus' death on the cross made any difference about them or their sin in God's sight. I mean, this kind of person who says, I haven't sinned, I don't have a problem, I don't need for God's forgiveness, has placed himself outside of God's forgiveness. And that sin is going to lead to death. Even if you deny it, sin is real. And it has to be dealt with or it will kill you. And Jesus has a plan to save you and to give you life. But there are forces working against that. First off, our own pride gets in the way. Second off, our own habits can get in the way. And third off, John says, besides sin being real, Satan is real. So heaven is real sin is real and satan is real the whole world lies in the power of the evil one i mean and yet we're in the hands of jesus look at verse 18. we know that everyone who's been born of god does not keep on sinning but he who was born of god protects him and the evil one does not touch him he who was born of god is a reference to jesus now jesus always has been god before creation god the father god the son and god the spirit were together But then Jesus had a birthing experience. He was born into this world. He was already alive. He was just born here. And Jesus' job while he was here, as portrayed in the book of John in chapter 17, is to guide and to protect the believers, to keep them safe. I mean, Jesus accounts in John 17 for every one of his disciples who've been placed in his care. And his job is to protect them from the evil one. He protects the fully devoted followers. Verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. John has several references to the evil one, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5, just in this little short letter. And he uses the term the evil one interchangeably with the term the devil. Now the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is a cause for concern for people like us. Satan is called the prince of the world or the prince of the power of the air. He's a liar and his primary tool is deception. Another weapon he uses is discouragement or despair. He gets you thinking about the wrong things, looking the wrong way. The good news for us as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ is we are not under his control. We belong to Jesus. It is Jesus who keeps true believers from being led astray from the truth. Jesus is the truth. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And we are protected. I mean, look at what John says, we know. He ends up saying that a bunch of times in this passage. Verse 18, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. Now, you have two things going on here. You have an act of sin, and then you have you put enough of those together and it's a habit, and you put enough of those together and it's a lifestyle. So one is a, an act where you sin, and the other is this living in a sinful way. So let me try to give you an example. Have you ever noticed when you got married that some things that were no big deal suddenly became a big deal? Like, for instance, you know, I'm, you know, when you were single and living by yourself, and you took off your dirty shirt, you could just toss it on the floor. It didn't really matter. It was there on the pile, and pretty soon the pile got big enough, and you went and did laundry. But when you got married, your, provi- your bride shows up, and she provides a hamper for dirty clothing, and that's not a problem either. And then you left your dirty shirt on the floor in the usual spot, and that wasn't a problem, at least not to you. <laughs> It was a little problem, and so it probably got talked about because everybody does it differently. And then she spoke so sweetly to you. Honey, in our home together, I have provided a hamper for dirty clothing so that it doesn't have to be piled everywhere. So please put all your dirty clothing in the hamper. Well, then came the next moment when you arrived with your dirty shirt and you were taking it off. And what do you do? Do you put it on the floor or do you put it in the hamper? The floor is the usual place, but you know, does your love for your bride and knowing her wishes change your behavior? Oh, you might forget again and leave your shirt there once in a while, but is it your desire to please your true love or to do things your own way? And that's the tension we have as Christians, isn't it? Am I going to do things my way or am I going to do them the beloved's way? Am I going to do them my way or am I going to do it Jesus' way? John says we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. Doesn't say, I know what Jesus wants. It's different than I'm doing, but I'm going to just do what I want to do. He could have said everyone who's been born of God desires to please God. Oh, now maybe you're saying, Pastor Ty, you're meddling now, so just leave it alone. So let's get back to what John says we know. Verse 18, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. We know Jesus protects believers from the evil one. We know that we are from God. And we know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that Satan is real. But better yet, we know that Jesus is real. Look at John says, verse 20. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we know him who is true. And we are in him who's true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Look what John says we know. He's just reminding us to encourage us to get our focus on the right thing, to get out from under the circumstances that are holding us down, to look into the face of our Savior, into his plan for us, and uh, to to love him and to work for him for a while while we're here, and then to to spend eternity in heaven enjoying him. Look what John says we know. We know, verse 20, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. We know we are in him who's true. We know he is the true and eter- God and eternal life. There is not a clearer, sharper uh, focus in one verse than that about Jesus. He is true God and he's eternal life. We know that the Son of God has come, he says. It's not just a concept. It's, it wasn't just a thought or a possibility. Jesus actually invaded history at a certain time, at a certain place. God became man and lived here. Jesus is real. And he gives us understanding. Jesus gives believers insight to know the truth, to know what is right and what is good and what is righteous and what is not. This week, we gathered with our family like you probably did over July 4th week. Uh, I call it a weekend, even though it was Tuesday. And, um, you know, we're going to celebrate. and We're going to do one of the things that we've practiced a lot and really we're, do best, and that is eat. And, um, So I know people are going to be arriving, so I head to the kitchen, and I get out some chicken to barbecue, and I'm cutting it up and getting it all exactly right, and somebody walks in the kitchen who just arrived and said, hi, oh, that chicken smells funny. I said, well, it is foul, (coughs) (laughs) but I hadn't hadn't smelled anything wrong with it. I know it's a bad joke. I'm sorry. But when a second person walked in the kitchen and said, hey, uh, that chicken doesn't smell very good, Cindy walked in right behind him and said, get rid of it. Start over. Let's get something else. Now, I hadn't thought it smelled bad, but I don't have the best sniffer in the house. And there are other people with more sensitive, uh, sensitive to smells than I am. When Jesus comes into our life, what it's saying right here is he gives us a greater sniffer for the truth and for error, we begin to be more aware of what he's trying to tell us. And he, he, we have his word to illuminate our path and we have his spirit to guide us in, even in our thoughts and in our heart. He's given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And Sometimes we just need to say, He's prompting us. He's talking to us. He's knocking on our heart to say, hey, have you thought about this? This thing is happening in your life. It's not really a good thing. It's not really helping you. It doesn't please me. In other words, the short word for that is sin. Let it go. Go, but that's my habit. Oh, I've practiced that a lot. I really like that habit. I'm familiar with it. I'm comfortable with it. It fits in my life. And Jesus is saying, let it go. And we have a choice to make. Are we going to follow him and have him in charge? Are we going to be fully devoted followers of Christ? Or are we going to be partial followers when it's convenient? Because fully devoted followers are in Jesus who is true. And Jesus is the true God and eternal life. There's not another declaration like that in the whole letter. Jesus is truly God. So he can demand our allegiance. He deserves our respect and our honor and for us to follow him. And John can't give the true believers any greater assurance than this. that Jesus that you know and love who died for you and saves you, he's still with you. Keep following him. He's God. He is life. He gives you life forever. Keep him number one in your life. Trust him. Love him. Follow him. Share him. Delight in him. He's yours. And John ends his letter with little children, which was his favorite term for all of them. But then he kind of has a surprise ending, I think, don't you? Keep yourself from idols. I think he would have said something like, Little children, stay encouraged. I love you. But he said, Keep yourself from idols because they're all around us. And when we get our eyes off of Christ and onto our circumstance or onto the people around us or what, what this person has or what we don't have or what we wish would happen or what, what did happen, we, we get all these things in the way. And an idol is an illusion. It's something that's been given the place in your life that really belongs to someone or something else. And he's giving one last word of encouragement here. Keep your eye on the prize. Don't let anything, don't let anybody get your eyes off of what is real. Heaven is real. Sin is real and Satan is real. That's why we're having this conflict. True. But best of all, Jesus is real. Jesus is the best. He's God. He's your Savior. He's your eternal life. So keep him number one in your life. Make that choice today and never look back. Never look around. Never wander. Never allow the derision of the world or the poor decisions of others to forsake Christ or the discouragement that could overwhelm you with despair cause you to take your eyes off of Jesus. People I talked about at the beginning of this, one of them has already died. We never did get back on the same page. We never did get... Reconnected. some of that's going to have to happen at the feet of Jesus he says because you know that you know that you know that God is Jesus is God and he's eternal life and that's what you need and that's what you want so don't let your sin get you sidetracked don't let the devil get you deceived keep Jesus number one in your life I want to offer today as we pray, I'm going to come stand down in the front. And if you want to come down to ask Jesus to be your Savior, to forgive your sin, to do something that needs to get right in your heart, then you come down while we sing. There'll be people here who can talk with you and can help. It's a moment where you say, I'm standing before Jesus, I'm listening to His voice. Jesus, you're in charge of my life. Is there anything that I need to root out of my heart because it's in your place? That would be an idol. Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, you're the King and kings and Lord of lords in the whole universe. And you desire to have that place in our heart, and we get to choose. And so even today as we're singing, crown you with many crowns. May we crown you with the th- in the throne of our lives. May we have you be in that place that only you can be. May we ha- allow you to be in charge. May we follow you and keep our eyes on you even when things haven't gone our way, even when people have left mad, even when things have broken, just to keep our eyes on Jesus and to keep following you with our whole heart. And we thank you that you are there for us, that you are good and you are God and you are heaven. And We can give our hearts to you. So we do that today, and we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.